0: Welcome to CEO Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. Welcome to CEO Uncovered by Create Every Opportunity. CEO provides valuable advice and knowledge to students in schools across the country. Today, we have on Cassie. Cassie is the CEO and co-founder of the leading entertainment marketing firm, CrowdSurf. How are you, Cassie? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. For those who don't know, could you give us some insight about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Cassie and
1: I'm based in Los Angeles, California, and I own a company called CrowdSurf. It is a company that started as a digital marketing agency a little over 15 years ago, and we've evolved our services since then. So we are still do digital marketing. That's still a really big part of what we do, but we also do artist and talent management now. Um, we offer some creative services to artists in terms of designing single covers, lyric videos, that sort of thing, and a whole bunch of other things. But at our core, our mission is to help artists share their music or their art with people that would like it.
0: Where'd you come about the idea of doing something like this?
1: So I always had a dream of working in the music business is where it kind of started. When I was 11 or 12, I went to my first Backstreet Boys concert and that changed my life. You know, I'd never been to an event where everyone was excited about the same thing and knew the words to the same song. And it it was just a really exciting experience for me and I really you know fell in love with that and uh, became obsessed with well first I started by being a serial super fan so I I really liked the process of being a super fan and making fans in a community and us like being excited about the same thing and so I started to like other you know music artists and being a part of their communities as well and I remember when I was about 15 or 16 a family friend of mine said, you know, that there's programs for entertainment business and, you you know, not being on stage, but being behind the scenes. And I never even crossed my mind about the people that I don't see on stage because I knew I couldn't be on stage because I'm not musically inclined or I'm not a stand up comedian. I, I don't have that ability at all. But I was like, something I think I can do is be the person it helps the people that I love to watch on stage and on TV and listen to and that sort of thing. So I, I really, you know, sort of did a deep dive and became obsessed with that idea. And from then that point on, I knew I needed to work in the entertainment industry.
0: The entertainment industry, I feel like a lot of people think is very cutthroat and they don't even know how to get started in that industry. How did you get your toes in there?
1: Yeah, I think The idea of it being so cutthroat is something that made me really scared and made me feel like I couldn't do it when I was Mm -hmm. first starting out. And yes, it is a tough business. Yes, it is competitive, but it's not impossible. It's not, you know, impossible dream. Like it Mm -hmm. is something that you can do and it is hard work. It is not something that is going to be a casual job. Like if you work in music especially where, you know, in the position I do where I'm working directly with artists, it's, you know, there are some stressful things and there are some weird hours and there are some tough times, but I think it's worth it. And, you know, so I read, you know, these books and when I started doing research, I read about how hard it is to get a job in the music Mm -hmm. business. So I almost overcompensated (laughs) because I thought it was so hard. So I did Everything that I could in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I lived when where I went to high school, I did everything I could to get experience to put on my resume. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes people think that the things I'm about to list aren't things that can go on your resume, but they're the things that I put on my resume that got me my first job as a college rep at the Warner Music Group. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think a good place to start if you live in a city that isn't really a music business city like I did is you may not be in a music business city, but there's always a local artist or a local band. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a good place to start. So I found local artists that needed help and every local artist needs help. So there's always something you can do for them. And from there, I found like local artist managers. I found local record labels. And I really did what I could, you know, with these guys on a volunteer basis. You know, I just was like, hey, I'm in high school. I'm not eligible for internship credit, but I just want to volunteer and help you. Can I pass out flyers? Can I come to your management office and help you with a spreadsheet? Can I do research for you? Whatever it is, you know, and it was flexible. You know, I probably had a couple of different things I would do after school each week. And I would help at concerts on the weekend. And I enjoyed every minute of it. It was really fun, but it built my resume over, you know, over the couple of years when I was in high school, you know, being involved in these, You know, circles of people. And I remember when I uh, submitted my application for a Warner Music Industry job, I I had no connections. And I remember them saying, We usually don't take people until they're juniors or seniors in college, but your resume shows how much you care about this and you have more experience than most Mm -hmm. people at that level in college. So we're going to take you on as a freshman. So That was a really cool moment for me.
0: Yeah, I would have been shaking at that time. So were you doing everything under the sun for whatever they wanted, basically? Yeah, I really like problem solving. So I thought
1: about how I could help them solve some of their problems. You know, one problem that a lot of local bands have is how do I get more people to my show? So at that time, that was a lot of word of mouth. That was posting flyers on bulletin boards, at coffee shops and other local stores. So I offered to help with that sort of stuff. And I remember a site called Reverb Nation had just come into the scene at that point. And so I helped with some people's Reverb Nation pages. And, you know, I was like, hey, maybe you can do this on it. Maybe you can reach out to these people. Maybe you can add some friends on here. Maybe you can post some songs you haven't released yet on it. But I just came up with ideas on how to help and what was you know for what I had time from what I had a skill set for
0: that's so cool at that age to, to kind of get into that and go on your own i think i think that's amazing a lot of people would want to do that but i feel like have that hesitation or even their parents won't even let them so that's so cool you got the opportunity to do that and then since that time i know you're in media and how has social media changed your job in the entertainment space and excelled it
1: yeah when I started in social media I feel like it was a lot of me telling people like this is important or this is really cool and nobody believing me this was back in like 2004 you know this was you know almost 20 years ago at this point and I was seeing how you could connect with fans and reach people that may not have heard of you through social media and then i always thought on the other end like as a backstreet boys fan how cool would it have been if the backstreet boys were able to share content with me via social media so i always like thought about that perspective of it as well and so i was you know i think i was like sort of preaching this and how it could be really impactful for new artists and also make fans of big artists feel closer to artists that they really care about and it's interesting you know, I sort of saw this vision immediately and it's sort of the vision has slowly come to life, you know, over the past 18 years or so. And I remember when I worked at, I worked at Warner Music Nashville from 2004 to 2007. And I remember at that time, digital was always last on the agenda. And now it's often one of the first, if not the first thing that it's the front line of how, our artists communicate with fans how music is released it's so tightly integrated into everything so to see it have not been important at all and sometimes not even get talked about in the meetings to being one of the main things people talk about in the meetings is really cool and i'm you know proud of myself for seeing that earlier than most people did
0: and when you did see it was that just like something i want to do i want to be the first one to get the jump on this and work with these stars to build their pages or where you kind of integrated into doing it and then found your love?
1: Yeah, I don't think my agenda was ever to be first. I never really thought about that. I'm grateful for the timing and to have been one of the first people to use social media in this way and music. I'm, I'm grateful that I got to do that and feel proud of the impact I've had on that ecosystem. But at the time, I just I was like, I want to help you. You need my help. You can use this. Like, I just really wanted to help people because artists helped me so much when when I was a teenager and, you know, still to to this day, their music is really important to me. You know, I remember some of the happiest moments of my life with my friends because there's songs attached to those moments that I remember when I felt really alone and there was a song that made me feel better, or at least made me feel less alone and made me feel like my feelings were were validated. So music was just so important to me that I, I almost feel like it's my obligation to help other people who want to put their product into the world because I know how powerful that product is.
0: A hundred percent. What has it been like working with these stars and co-working on a page? Do they have a lot of input or are you mostly leading it? Yeah. So when I, it's changed a lot. So when I started in social media, I
1: don't think anybody really cared what I did. (laughs) They're just (laughs) like, they're just like, you can post whatever you want on my MySpace page. I don't care. I don't look at it. But over time, and I'm, I'm glad to see that this has happened over time. Most artists have really taken control of their, their social media and are on the front lines of it and look at everything and think about what they're posting and are very involved in the strategy, which is really awesome and really cool because I think people can feel that authenticity. And I think it's important for an artist to be involved in that capacity. So, you know, when I started, it was like me begging, Hey, can I please talk about your tour on your MySpace page? And now it's artists having visions for what they want on their pages. And they're saying, Hey, can your team help me? edit this TikTok or I have an idea for a single cover. Can you help me make it? Or, hey, I really want a website. Can you help me build it? I know how to run my Instagram, but I don't know how to build a website. So it's more working directly with the artist and them having a vision for what they want and us either helping them make that come to life or help them, you know, with the workload of social media and, you know, helping, you know, make things easier, like uploading tour dates for them or building out an email blast because they don't know how to,
0: code that or, or, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's interesting because a lot of people may think that's not their page. Well, it is, but they're not running it. And it's interesting to hear that they actually are and they do have the input just because it's more of a advertising doesn't mean they're not doing it. Is that kind of the perception you see that they don't think they're actually running their own accounts?
1: Um, I think maybe like 10 years ago, you would see more of that. I think now... I think most people are are more aware of how social media pages are run. And I would say when the page is like an individual person, they're pretty much in charge of that. Like that's their name. That's their show. We're here to help them or remind them that they have a brand post obligation that has to go up that day, you know, like kind of hitting contractual stuff and that sort of thing. But for the most part, they're, you know, kind of running the show and post, you know, freely, especially on things like Instagram and TikTok. When it's a band, it's a little bit different um, because it's like a brand. So band pages are more run like, like how a traditional brand would be run. Sometimes the band members will get in and out of the accounts, but I would say most of the time, like the band members are going to be in charge of their individual accounts. And the band account usually has some type of social media manager that I would say is actually like posting the content, getting all the band members to uh, approve it and, and that sort of thing.
0: Social media has brought a lot of good to the world. It also has brought a lot of hurt. And with your mega stars that you have, there is a lot of mean things written on social media and that affects them. How do you deal with that? And what advice do you give them to kind of not look at that?
1: Yeah, it's tough. You know, and I've sort of seen social media become more negative than positive in a lot of cases. When I started, it was like all positive because it was, the artist has power to communicate with people directly and artist has power to reach fans that wouldn't have known who they were otherwise. Like it was all positives, but as social media became more ingrained in culture, we started to see, you know, the bad parts of culture come into into social media. And that's, you know, why, especially over the past couple of years, I've really become super, protective of the artist. I would say when my company started, the mission was to listen to the fans, support the fans, be about the fans. And I still think that artists need to do that because obviously fans are, they're consumers and they wouldn't have a career without them. But sometimes you have to think about yourself first before fans and what fans think, or else you can lose yourself and it can cause a lot of mental health problems because Especially when there's a large group of people, you're never going to be able to make everyone happy, and that can be really hard to see. And I, I would see artists look at 100 comments; and there'd be 99 good ones, but they would focus on the one bad one, and it can ruin days or weeks, you know, of their life. So, some tips I, I give on on that front is if somebody's having a hard time, I recommend deleting the app that's giving you a hard time off your phone. I think that's a good way to have boundaries with it. Something I do on my phone actually, is I have no notifications from social media or text messages on my phone. So that way, if I I choose when I give people my time versus like me feeling called because something popped up on my screen. So that's another piece of advice I, I give people. And I just think that you, if it's gonna be rough on you, you have to figure out how to not look at it. And having a team can help you make it a little easier to not look at it. Like there's some artists that sometimes they delete it off my phone and they, but they still want to post stuff. So they'll text it to us and we'll post it for them instead of them having to log in. It's not that they don't want to log in themselves, but sometimes the information and the comments can be so overwhelming when you log in and you can't help yourself to look at them. And so that's another sort of way I think we can protect people sometimes when they're having a rough time. And I would say nobody ever like permanently deletes anything from their phone, but there are times that are tougher than others. And I I don't judge an artist for not wanting to have an Instagram or Twitter on their phone at certain points in their life or career.
0: And we are talking about high school students and most of our listeners. And it kind of goes in with that and how a lot of high school students have been feeling that way as well. And it's such a big topic right now about if they should be using social media and if not, and just if everyone's listening, let's spread love and this is what it's for and not to bring people down, but let's build them up.
1: Yeah. And if you don't say things on, like words that you say on social media do matter. And you really have to think about, like, what would it look like if I said this thing to that person in real life, what would that look like? What would their facial expressions be? And I think that when you think about it, you know, sometimes that'll make you think twice about something that you're that you're gonna say to somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of switching gears to CrowdSurf, how do you guys find potential clients?
1: Well, I'm very lucky in the sense that. Almost every client we have comes to us. If people are taking proposals from digital marketing companies, our name is likely going to come up as somebody that they reach out to and ask for a proposal from. But then a proposal is, you know, a document of like basically your pitch to work on a project and you say what you're going to do. And how much it's going to cost so we're in the mix on a lot of things like that and sometimes people don't even ask for proposal at this point because they worked with us before so they say hey how much is this going to cost do you have capacity can you take this on so i'm very fortunate to be in a position where i basically have to do zero out pitching it's usually incoming and people asking if we can work on it and if we're interested in a lot of times i say no it's not the right artist they don't have the right team member um, or I know that team is difficult, whatever the reason is, but sometimes I I say no, or sometimes we're at capacity and I can't take something on. It really depends on the situation, but I'm I'm really lucky to have, you know, built a reputation in situations where that's how new business comes in.
0: And is CrowdSurf managing all platforms or does it usually focus on one?
1: I would say it's not even about all platforms. I would say we're an extension of like the artist or their label or management teams. So anything that represents them on digital, we're usually a part of that or in the mix on it. So my goal was to try to be sort of a one-stop shop for artists, because it can be really tough when you like have one vendor who focuses on TikTok and another one that does Instagram and another one that does Facebook. And then you need a different company to do your website and a different company to do your online store. And sometimes there's multiple entities within a project, but a lot of times we become the point person for utilizing vendors. So like, for example, we work on some artists, but we don't run a lot of influencer campaigns internally, but I... Will be in the mix on hiring the companies or the deciding what tools to use to run the influencer campaigns. So we like to sort of be like the middle of the wheel to all these other platforms or tools or website, digital communications, that sort of thing.
0: And speaking of hiring, what do you look for as the CEO and co-founder for hiring someone for CrowdSurf?
1: It's changed a lot over the years.
0: I would say at the beginning, I like to
1: hire people that I kind of saw myself in a little bit, but that's sort of evolved over time. And I really enjoy hiring people that maybe other companies wouldn't have given a chance to. And at the beginning, that was actually a lot of people who were in a similar situation to me, like went to school for music business, younger, were a fan of some artists that surprisingly, that type of person 10 years ago was not an ideal candidate. A lot of companies were scared of hiring people with a like quote unquote, like fandom background. But now that kind of candidate has become very desirable to record labels, management firms, and a lot of other entities, which is great because I think that person is a, is a great candidate. And I've seen a lot of people with that sort of background and lifestyle become very successful in music. So now I still hire a lot of people with that background, but I also have hired recently a few people who actually were former teachers that are coming in and they've been really great. And that's made me really confident in kind of hiring people making career switches. Um, I see a lot of people sort of not be given a chance in that situation. And I took a, a leap and gave a couple people a chance and I feel good about it. So looking for more career switchers, um, I've looked for or I've hired a couple people who are also artists. That's been super successful. A team member of mine, actually, very grateful for her. her name is Sloan. She helped create this test for people that we're hiring to sort of go through some base level task of like what we do on a daily basis and see how they do with it. And that's actually been really helpful in terms of hiring people. So I'm actually even more open on the resume front now because. I have the test. And if they have a resume, I normally wouldn't have taken a second glance at, but they ace the test. I'll be like, okay, like, let's give them an interview. So I'm pretty open on resumes right now because I've sort of was a little scared about it at first, because you unfortunately have to make a lot of judgments off of like one page of a piece of paper. But now with the test in conjunction with the resume, I think I'm more just looking like does this person seem interested in music and digital and marketing? And if they seem to be have interest in it, then let's give them this test and see how they do and decide you know to judge them based upon their performance and, and the work that they put out on that test.
0: I love that you're hiring people who have had career changes because a lot of people feel that they can't. And I've seen they're actually the most gutsy people and take the most risk and risk pays off with reward. So I love that you're doing that. It's awesome. I love it. it.
1: And I'm glad that like I did it and people performed well and it made me feel like more confident to one, do it more often and to tell people about it and encourage other people who hire Mm -hmm. to do the same thing.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. We only live one life and you should do what you're passionate about. Absolutely. Uh, What does a day-to-day look like for you? Day-to-day for me... It's different
1: every day. And I like that. That's not for everyone I've learned, but I like that my schedule is not routine at all. But I would say things that happen on a daily basis for me are going to be, I spend a lot of time in my text messages. I get 5,000 texts a day. So a lot of my client and staff communication takes place on iMessage or WhatsApp. I definitely do like a run of email checking several times a day. I would say that I have several internal like employees only conference calls a day, I would say that I have a couple client calls a day and I would say that I have a couple pitch calls a week so talking to new clients and then I would say a couple times a week I'm either on site with the client at a music video shoot in the recording studio at a show or taking them to meet with their booking agency or whatever that is but it's a, you know it's a variety of different things but those are common activities that happen on a weekly basis.
0: As someone who's killing it in the industry and you're a woman, what does it mean to you to be a CEO as a woman and how have you seen it benefit and not benefit you?
1: I would say the biggest sort of challenge that I had with being a woman in music is when I was growing up, I didn't really see a lot of women in music that didn't mean they were not there. I know a lot of, about them now. And there's a lot of them that I admire and either get to work with or, you know, admire their work kind of behind the scenes, but growing up, I didn't have anybody to see and to know, like I had people like Johnny Wright who managed like Britney Spears and Insync and Larry Rudolph who also managed Britney Spears and, a bunch of other incredible artists and Irving Azoff who, you know, had Christina Aguilera, the Eagles and ton of other amazing artists, but they're always men. And I wanted to be that job, but I I was a girl. So I didn't know if I could do it or not. Now I'm like on the path to be doing that. But I think that more women in music being a little more public about their work could go a long way in terms of Mm -hmm. inspiring the next generation of women in music in terms of, you know, the prejudices, I guess there are some. For me, I feel like it hasn't been as tough as I thought it would be. The biggest thing I feel like I miss out on is when music industry men, either they go golf together, they go have dinner together and, you know, inevitably like business deals are going to happen. And I've actually been invited to things like that before and I was grateful for the opportunity to be there, but it wasn't really fun because I don't have a lot in common with them. They're older than me. They have kids. I don't, they're really into wine. I know nothing about wine. Like, you know, just, I appreciated the them wanting to include me, but those weren't, um, you know, the best ways for me to network in in my opinion, but I, I feel fortunately like it may take me a little bit longer, but at the end of the day, especially in Los Angeles versus Nashville, if you do a good job and you help people make money, they're going to hear about it and they're going to hire you. And I feel like I just stuck with it and stuck the course. And maybe sometimes things took a little bit longer because I was a woman. And I don't think it was a conscious bias. I think it's an unconscious bias because a man is not going to see themselves in me because I'm a woman. So they're going to feel less likely to want to mentor me or and to invite me to a dinner or whatever it is. And I understand that that's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong, but it does unfortunately make it harder for women. But I think if you stay the course, it can be a good thing. And I think more women, you know, stepping out and being more public about their work they're doing will make it more normalized and make you know, the next generations of people also, you know, step out and, you know, be public and, you know, be people younger than them can look up to.
0: 100%. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for joining us on CEO Uncovered. I love learning about your story and you're doing such a cool thing. I bet all of our listeners are geeking out right now at your job. So thank you again. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.